you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, Pastor John shares a great message that we pray will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. All right, how many of you ready for family dinner? Yeah. Yeah, Thursday, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. Uh, I saw a bumper sticker this week that reminded me of this whole series. It says, uh, my family is a freak show without the tent. So I don't know what that means, but it reminded me of other bumper stickers that you may have seen about family. One was, uh, happiness is a big, close-knit family that lives in another city. You guys seen that one? Uh, Or my family puts the fun in dysfunction. Or my favorite is, uh, friends are God's way of apologizing for family. That was good. Okay. Amen. Amen. So, hey, uh, let's jump in. Turn with me to John chapter 2. We're going to wrap this up today. Uh, As uh, Tammy already alluded, uh, Chuck is going to come back up and he's going to talk to us. But I want to kind of set this up. There are two things that are clear and congruent throughout the Bible. And the first one is this, giving is more blessed than getting. We see this especially in Jesus. Jesus taught this. The Apostle Paul recites this in the book of Acts and gives Jesus the credit. Uh, Giving is more blessed than getting. And that sounds right. And it is right until we should say no to someone, right? Until we should say, you know what? I'm not going to give that to you. I'm not gonna give you my time. I'm not gonna give you my energy. I'm not gonna give you my resources. And so this first one is, is really only right when you combine it with the second one, and that is this. Blessed giving can only be motivated by love. It is not going to be blessed giving if it is motivated by anything else. And so if you look at this, you know, you know, visually, it's sort of like this, my yes, motivated by love, is going to be blessed. If I am giving to someone because I am, I am loving them, and, and not, not love like an emotional love or a feeling kind of love, but like a, a, a love that is motivated unconditionally. But if that yes is motivated by anything else, we'll just say X, if it is motivated by anything else, it is depressed. It is not blessed. If we say yes, especially to family members, because we know what that's like, if we say yes, motivated by some of these, and I'm going to throw out some of the usual suspects. Here we go. Fear. Fear of losing love or abandonment. Yes, I will give this to you if you will just not withhold your love from me, if you just won't leave me. Uh, what else? Fear of, of others' anger. Okay, okay, Dad, I'll say yes. I'll, I'll give you this if you just won't get angry. Fear of loneliness. I, I don't want the, you know, to be lonely. And so I will say yes to someone. What else? Fear of, a lot of fear here, fear of losing the good me inside. A lot of us are sort of wired in such a way that, that we think that, that, that love just means that it's always yes. And if I say no, then the good me inside of me is dying a slow death. What else? Fear of making someone sad. Mom, I don't want you to be sad. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give you that. We'll, we'll We'll do this, whatever you want us to do, because I don't want you to be sad. And, and what else? What else did we see? Guilt. Oh, yes. No, we've, we've never had that from family, have we? We've never received that. Okay. Yes. I just don't make me feel guilty or payback. 
They've given us so much. You know what my sister has done for our family? Like we've got we to gotta pay them back. We've got to say yes. But what if yes isn't motivated by love? What if isn't the best thing? And then there's approval. Like I have to say yes so that they will approve of me. So let's look at this visually again. Yes, motivated by love is blessed. And we see that throughout the Bible. That it is more blessed to give than receive. That's a big statement. When the yes is motivated by love. When that yes is motivated by anything else, it equals depressed. And I think some of you have been saying yes for a long time based on fear, based on guilt, based on payback, based on all of those things that we... And your heart is all up in knots. And you are depressed. And when you get around your family, all of those old feelings start coming back again because it's always yes, 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 yes. But it's not coming from love. It's coming from all of that other stuff, which brings us to the challenge that I want us to look at today. And that is this idea of boundaries. Boundaries, establishing limits to honor personal freedom and responsibilities. To honor personal freedom and responsibility. God created you with the personal freedom to choose. Yeah, you get to choose. He's given you a personal authority over yourself, even authority to choose not to choose him. And that applies to family. But also he has given all of us personal responsibilities, things that only we can and should do, things that as a human being we are responsible to do. And boundaries, especially in family relationships, is establishing those limits to honor those personal freedoms and responsibility. And when Chuck comes up here, he's going to talk a little bit more about them. This brings us to the question, though, how do I set boundaries in my family relationships? Thank you. Uh, this is my son, by the way. He's learning this with me. All right. Um, thank you very much. Um, Chuck's going to come up in just a second. How do I set boundaries in my personal or in my family relationships? Okay, what does that mean? And we're, we're going to look at this in just a second uh, in John chapter 2. I have to be able to say no to members of my family because I love them. I'm going to say that again because somebody's going to get free today. I have to say no to people in my family sometimes because I love them. Because I love them. And that's what, that's what boundaries... Now, if you do not believe and follow Jesus, and like, this may be your first time in church, uh, listen, everything that I'm saying today is, is relevant to you too. You, you, you can apply this that we're about to talk about, but I want to look at a scene. There are the laws of boundaries all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures, but we're going to see a scene in the life of Jesus where he is living this out. We're going to see it with his own earthly mother, Mary. Now, before we get into this, let me give you a little setup. Jesus is the divine son of God, who became the human Jesus 2,000 years ago. He lives in both of those roles. He was the divine son, and 2,000 years ago, he came to live a normal human life. What does that mean? That means that he was born of a Jewish mother named Mary, and he was 
raised as a good Jewish boy in a good Jewish home to become a good Jewish, responsible adult male. And, and we see this throughout. Here's what we know, though, about his mother. His mother, uh, although she was extraordinary and God chose her to be the mother of the divine son who would become the human Jesus, she was flawed. She was imperfect. She couldn't see everything. She needed a savior just like all of us, just like yo mama. Yes. Right? Okay, so we got that. We're going to see a scene here where Jesus, though, manages the tension of being the divine son of God under his instructions and his mission and his relationship to his earthly mother. So I want us to jump right into this. John chapter 2, look at verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay, we got a hometown wedding. So just what, you know, where Jesus grew up and, and, and where he, his dad was a carpenter and he was sort of an apprentice to his dad, uh, hometown wedding. Jesus at this point has not revealed to anyone but a small group of people, his disciples and his mom, of course she knows this, that he is the Messiah. So we're at this hometown wedding and something happens. What happens? It says, when the wine was gone, uh-oh, uh-oh, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, there is so much to this. There's so much to this. In fact, people have argued about this verse uh, almost since the the New Testament has been printed. I, I mean, like, what was going on with Mary at this time? Because this is a, a big question, uh, or this is a big statement that is being had here. At this point, as I said, no one, no one knows except for Jesus' disciples and his mother that he is the forthcoming Messiah. And even they don't understand it completely. In fact, they kind of have a weird idea of what it means. But, G- or, but Mary says to Jesus, hey, I know who you are, wink, wink. And they're out of wine. Maybe you could do something to help. Maybe you could do something to help. Like, maybe you could, you know, hook them up. Here begins our talk on boundaries. And so I'm going to once again invite Chuck Rogers to come join us. You guys give some love to Chuck Rogers. Chuck, right here. All right. Okay, so establishing limits. To honor people's Absolutely. personal freedom and responsibility. For sure. Talk to us about that. And maybe unpack this a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate this whole series. I think it's wonderful. And to get back invited two weeks in a row is even more wonderful, yes. right? So, yeah, I heard that the creative team actually was trying to get you to not have me back. No, no, no. No, no. Not at all. Not <laughs> that at all. Like, that was painful yeah, last it was week, painful. John. Don't That's that right. guy back. No. You know, you and I in our lives, like everyone else, are looking for relationships with people. We were created in the image of God, who's an interrelational being, and so we're interrelational people as well. And so I want to have emotional, relational connection with people just like you, and for the most part, everybody's in that boat. 
But I can't have that kind of relationship because I manipulate it to get it done or intimidate it to get it done or um, try to pull the guilt strings to either make the relationship happen or to keep the relationship going. Boundary says, I can ask you for anything. I can ask you for a favor. I can ask you for relationship, but you must choose. A boundary says, I can ask, but you must choose. Secondly, a boundary really has to do with personal responsibility. Right yes. So what you're saying is that anybody has the, the right to ask me anything. Absolutely. But it is my choice whether or not I want to receive that or not. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, that's yes. good. Yeah. That's good stuff. I'm going to keep doing that to you. Okay, please yeah. do. Uh, secondly, personal responsibility. I've got a pack on my back. You've got a pack on yours. Everybody here has a pack of personal responsibility. And inside that pack are thoughts, behaviors, emotions, and consequences that come along with that. I can't do your behaviors for you. You can't do them for me. I can't think thoughts for you. I can't make you have certain thoughts. I can't decide what feelings you're going to have about that. And I can't rescue you from your own consequences. So a boundary says, I can't grow for you, and you can't grow for me. Okay, wow, that's big. Like, you need to write that down. Like, okay, so now what happens, though, because this happens in families all the time, uh, you have the classic... Uh, family member who steps in front of one of the other family member's consequences. Like, you know, son goes to jail and mom bails him out right. the third time. Mm-hmm. All right, unpack that a little bit. I would say she has every right in the world to do that. I'm not saying it's healthy for her to do it, and I'm not saying it's healthy for him to do it, and I kind of wish they wouldn't do that. But that's what she chooses to do, and that's what he chooses to do, and I have to let both of them have that behavior. Okay. But there's something growing there that's not going to happen. Right. He's probably not going to grow or at least grow at the rate that he needs to because he's relying upon his mom to make those kind of decisions for him. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. Keep going. And as we begin to relate to other people in our lives, there are various categories of people that we come into contact with. And there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Cha-Cha says it this way. That's the best. <laughs> I know you're going to interrupt there. That's the best there. name I've ever heard. <laughs> I wish I had a name like that. Yeah, it would be like yeah. Chuck Cha-Cha. You yeah, know. I, it's a kind of a combination of a game show host yeah. and a motivational like speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine me being introduced with Chuck yeah. Cha-Cha? Yeah, Chuck Cha-Cha. No, Dr. Cha-Cha says it this way. He says that people are like mathematics. They either add to you, they multiply you, they subtract from you, or they divide. Okay, now, like, you seriously have to write this down. Okay, he, we, we went through this on Monday, and I have been talking about this all week to people, and they're finally like, would you stop with the mathematics? Okay, because this, this is how good this is. Okay, so people are getting ready to go home, mm-hmm. and they need to know the mathematics of people and boundaries. Talk yeah. about that. Uh, there are people in your life that are adders, and we all need them. You get around them, and you just grow while you're there. You just feel, you, you look forward to being with them. You feel wonderful while you're there. You bask in the glow of it when you leave, and you grow, and you're a bigger person. In addition to that, there are people who are just multipliers. You get in, you look forward to them, you enjoy their presence, and you leave, and you're bigger, but just in an exponential kind of way. I'm thinking of one person 
I have lots of people who have been this for me in my life. One is Gary Sibsey, who's a therapist here in town. Yeah. Wonderful guy. And Gary and I were at breakfast one morning, and Gary, he'll eventually start teaching if you're there long enough. And so he grabs this napkin out of the holder there, and he's got his ballpoint pen, and he's explaining this to me. And when he's done, I was like, can I have that napkin? <laughs> and I, I put yeah, it in yeah, my yeah. pocket, and it sat on my desk for months because I just wanted to be able to refer that, back to that and make sure that I was incorporating those things into my personal life and into my professional life as well. Okay, so stop right there. Think about right now, who are those people in your life that add to you? Like, you're in their presence. And maybe even write that down in your notes, just to, just to the side. And then, a step further, are those multipliers. People who, like, almost like mentors or teachers or, yes. or coaches that right. when you get around them, you are exponentially growing. They just speak into you and you're bigger. Okay. All right. Now there's the other side. The other side are the subtractors and the dividers. Okay. Subtractors are people who just take things from you and they don't ever put anything back or minimally put back. Now they're not necessarily bad people. They just don't really have anything to give. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that they don't add to me. Okay. And so you're giving, giving, giving. You're giving, giving, giving. But they're not And it can even be good. And that's what ministry is about or true giving is when I give to somebody and I expect a zero in return. Okay. I'm just giving. So there's a part of us that really needs to lean into that, but it can only be so much. Yeah. And, the, and we need to know that, that, they're, that that's the expectations of that relationship. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. the way it's going to be. Okay. And then the other one are the dividers. And these are the folks who not only take away from you, but they get in there and they, they mess things up. They make things really difficult for you. They make things difficult for people that you care about and just really seem to kind of slice you up and divide you. Okay. So, you know, Dr. Cha-Cha goes on to talk about, you know, relationships being like a checkbook. You have to have a certain amount of deposits because there are going to be withdrawals. And if you don't have equal amounts of those or more, adders and more multipliers, you will be bankrupt. Okay, so if you only have subtractors and dividers in your life and you don't have adders and multipliers, then you're in a very toxic... You're in trouble. Yeah, okay, wow, that's huge. So we're going we're gonna to apply that to family in just a, a minute. Is there any more on that before we dive deeper into this nope, story? Good. Okay, all right. So I want us to go back to this scene where Jesus's mother says to him, hey, I know who you are. And I know what you can do. What do you think? Now, this is, this is big because, again, Jesus has not revealed himself as the Messiah to anyone except to a small group of people. And so his answer is a boundary. Let, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Woman. Wow. Say that to your mom this week. Woman. Let's see what your dad does. Woman, and, and there's a lot of debate on what Jesus meant by that. Some say that he was, he was separating his role as her son at that moment. And uh, it, there, there's, other people said, no, it's a very familiar, familiar, familiar term. Uh, who, who knows? All we know is that Jesus is, is saying, look, I'm going to have a conversation with you. Why do you involve me? Like, like you know that... that that I know what you're asking me to do, and right now this is not the timeline of my heavenly father. It's not to reveal myself here, and it's not to do a wedding trick, right? 
He's, he's like, look, woman, I'm putting a boundary up here. He's not dishonoring her. He's just saying, here is a boundary that you need to understand. Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, listen to his mother's response, because this goes back to what you're talking about. His mother said to the servant, um, he better do this because he's my boy. You guys see that? <laughs> Jesus, don't you love your mom? You guys see that there? No, none of that, none of that guilt. None of that, none of that pressure. She's, and you're going to talk about this. What does she do? She says, do whatever he tells you to do, even if he tells you to do nothing. So talk about what's happening there. Yeah, it's a really great portion of scripture, and I've thought so much more about it even since you and I talked this week. I mean, think about it. There's this wedding, this feast that's taking place, and these people have planned this thing to death, and they've, they've brought in all these people, and they have a dream of how they want it to be able to go. And most likely, Mary knew these people, I'm thinking, intimately. She may have grown up with them. She may have grown up with their children. She knew these folks. And this is not going well. Uh, My guess is these people were sad because it wasn't going off like they wanted to. They were probably mad at themselves, maybe mad at other people. I told you that we needed more wine than this. Or maybe they were just really embarrassed that they didn't have enough provisions for these folks. I mean, this was not a pleasant time. And Mary knows all this, and she wants to make it okay. So she knows that there is a lack of peace. Peace is nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. And she knows that there is lack and she knows the person who can fill that lack. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it I mean, is. We could really stop cool. and go home right yeah. now. We really yeah, yeah. could. Please, right? No. Yeah. Now, I mean, she knew that there was a lot of unrest here, and she knew to whom they needed to go, and so she turns to introduce them to Jesus. So Mary uses her voice. First of all, John, you and I have one job in our life, and that's to manage me. You got one job in your life, and that's to manage you. And part of managing you is to believe you have a voice, to believe that you can use it, and then to go ahead and use it. And so Mary turns, and she uses her voice with Jesus and says, hey, can you meet this need? Okay, so this was not wrong of her to ask. It was wonderful for her to ask. It goes back to what you were saying. You can ask anything. Anything. But we have to honor the choices Mm -hmm. of that person's freedom. Exactly. To say, no. And Jesus said no to part of it. We don't know what he said no to for sure. We know he said yes because he went ahead and and made the wine for them. But he says no to something. I can't do that. I can do this much and does. Now, notice Mary's response. Do whatever he tells you to do. She didn't say, but in whine and beg and plead or explain her position or defend her position. She simply let his yes be yes and his no be no. Jesus, on the other hand, then leans back in and does part of it, but says no. Now, we don't know what Mary might have been feeling. She might have been angry with him because she knew he had the ability to take care of it all, but he doesn't. She might have been sad. She might have been hurt, but Jesus allowed her to have her feelings as well and simply said yes to this and no to this part. Okay, that's huge, huge. Okay, so talk a little bit about emotional permission uh, that idea where I have to give myself emotional perm- permission to make someone else sad. Yeah, that's a difficult spot. I'm, I have been horrible at it, and I still don't do well with it because I don't like it. 
But whenever I set a limit, I've got to give the other person permission to have their thoughts about it, to maybe even think that I'm really wrong about it, to be sad about it, to be mad about it, to be afraid about it. But I've got to allow them to have their thoughts and their feelings about it. And Jesus did that with Mary. Wow. Okay, that's so big, especially if you're a parent, right? Because there are going to be times where you set up boundaries for your, uh, your young children, even your adult children, and vice versa. And we have to be okay seeing uh, someone we love take on their personal choice to feel whatever they feel about how we're responding to them. Exactly. Wow. Okay, keep talking. The voice. Yeah, the voice. I have to believe I have a voice, believe I can use it, and then go ahead and use it. Now, in any healthy relationship, each person has to have the ability to complain. Doctors John and Julia Gottman talk about this, that you have to, um, the right to complain. I think that's a little bit harsh, but their point is well taken. And then he goes on in later trainings to talk about how it is that you have to be able to complain without blame. And the way you do that is by making requests of the other person. Okay, write this down. Like, you, if you don't get anything today, get this one. This is, this is good. So repeat that a little bit so they can... You complain without blame by making requests. Now, let me give you an example. Okay. Um, a few years ago, about four or five years ago, actually, we were at a football game up here at Liberty, and we're leaving. And the backstory is my wife hates to be a passenger in a car. She just gets all antsy about that. And I knew that, and so we're leaving, and, you know, kind of bumper-to-bumper traffic going out. And in front of Thomas Road Baptist Church, there's a stoplight. If you go straight across, you go to Candler Station. If you go left, you go by Applebee's. And at that time, they were working on a bridge for like a year and a half, and so it was really funneling down. And you go to the right, you go back by the stadium. So I'm driving. Sam's in the back seat. He's like 14 at the time. Kim's in the passenger seat, and we're coming up, and the lights are red, and I don't know which way is the best way to go. And I said, I I don't know which is the best way to go. Kim says, well, I'm up here every day for carpool. And it's slow to the left. It moves, but it moves. Sam says, I think we should go to the right. Yes. So I just continued to inch forward, and the light to the right turned green. And so I took it. You took the right. I took the right. Sam's choice. Okay. The 14-year-old. Yes. Because I thought it was Good. better. Hey, that's, that's fair. That's and fair. I hit every light. I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> I hit every light right by the stadium, out onto the expressway, 65 miles an hour for like 17 seconds, and then take the exit by Ward's Road, Bob Evans, and it's kind of, uh, 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 and we're stopped right on top of a bridge. And I put it into park, and it's quiet. Yes. And my hand's on the gear shift, and Kim says, next week we go left. Yes, she did say And that. so I received her influence, yes. and I said, you know, you're 100% right. It was a super bad call to go right. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What did you say? <laughs> I said it was a super bad call to go to the right. You admitted that you were wrong. I was horribly wrong. Guys, that's a breakthrough right there. It's not that left would have been any you're better. You're corrupting the men here, Chuck. <laughs> when, when somebody complains about you, your only job is to receive their influence, and okay. problems just go away. They just do. So I'm sitting on that bridge, and I said, you know, you're 100% right. Going right was a really bad call. Next week we go left. Hand back on gear shift. She reaches over. She pats my hand. It's still quiet, but we get home. 
So that was Saturday night. Sunday morning rolls around. We're leaving for church, coming from Boonesboro across the expressway to Old Forest Road. And for whatever reason, traffic was backed up again. So I put it into park, and I'm remembering the night before. And I think, that was really uncomfortable. I don't want that to happen again, so I guess I better practice what I preach. And I said, you know, hey, honey, you know, in the future, I, I, I said, I'd like to make a request. And she says, oh, and I said, yeah. And I said, in the future, when it's super important for you that we go left or straight or to the right, I want you to say, Chuck, it's super important for me that we go this way. I promise you I'll go that way every time. Now, I didn't know how she was going to respond, but it doesn't matter. My only job is to use my voice. Hand up here on gear shift. She reaches over with her hand, and she says, oh, that's so sweet of you. I was like, yeah? And she says, yeah. And the issue went away. And we have plenty of issues in our relationship, but that one has never come up again. Wow. And it won't, most likely, because I made a request of how I'd like it to be. And she said, I I can do that. I can meet that request for you. Yeah. But that goes back to how you handled it the day before Mm -hmm. and saying, I was wrong. I did. I was wrong. And so that time, day two, I want to make, yeah, (laughs) it's good. It's good. I like that. So so let's put that on uh, the, the request thing up on the screen. Request makes... Uh, is making bad things go away and good things come. What yes. does that mean? Well, in this instance, this issue went away because I made the request. But if you have lack in your life and you want it to be filled, you've got to make some requests of the other person in order to fill that need. And sometimes the other person will say, well, you know, if I have to ask for it, it's no longer special. Well, you're going to go with unmet needs for the rest of your life. Is if, that that whole idea where it's like, I don't want him to... I don't want to ask him to get me flowers. I just want him to know to get me flowers. Exactly. I mean, that's never happened to me. I'll give you one quick way (laughs) to make this happen. I had a couple to come. He's my multiplier, guys. (laughs) This couple came, and they they kind of fell off my radar. And he shows back up in my office, and he says, she sent me for you to fix me. I said, great, we can do that. And so we talked about it, and what his wife wanted was to feel cherished. So his homework was to go home and sit with paper in hand and pen and say, Honey, in the future, when you're feeling cherished, what will I be doing? I had a great relationship with her. I hadn't seen her in a long time, but she called me and was furious because she said, he said, you said to do this, and I said, I did. And she said, so in other words, all I am is a checklist, and I said, exactly. And then I went on to say, not just a checklist, but you're a checklist, and so am I. My relationship with Kim is so important and she's so important that I want to check every box for her every time. And I can't check the box unless she makes requests and tells me what she needs. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. Yes. Make a list, guys. Make a list. Okay, so um, that, this whole idea of making a request. So we, we, we look at Mary, and she, she doesn't know the whole picture. She knows that Jesus is the, the forthcoming Messiah. That was foretold to her before his birth. And, and she, of course, helped him grow up. Uh, so we don't know all the in and outs of that. We just know in that moment, she made a request. He answered part of it, but part of it he did not. He no. and, and she received that. She did. And, and he received her. It was like Correct. this... this uh, okay, so what happens, if you guys read the rest of that story, is... Uh, Jesus turns the water into the wine. It's the, it's the first miracle that Jesus performs. And not only was it uh, water into wine, but it was the best wine. In fact, it, it made the party even better. It was wonderful wine. Uh, yes, karaoke broke out, and it was crazy. 
and uh, and and it made it, it made the the hosts seem like uh, they were were saving the best for last. Yes. And and it gets to this point in verse eleven, and and I love this. It says, "What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the very was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him." I love that because it, it goes back to how the gospel is sort of a journey for people, and and we all you know interact with the gospel differently at different phases in our life. For the disciples who already had an inside understanding of who Jesus was, in that moment, they saw more than a miracle. They saw compassion. They saw the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of God, who was willing to say, this is not my timeline, but I receive you. I'm going to say that again. He is the embodiment of the Heavenly Father. And Mary, who is flawed and human, asks something of him. And he says, I won't do this all the way you want, but I will do some of this. What a vivid picture of our Heavenly Father, that he receives us. And I know there's a lot of theology to unpack there that we don't have time to do, but I think that is so big for some people here today that's even outside of this whole idea of family relationships, and that is who your heavenly Father is as he is embodied in Jesus. Now, some people are going to go home yes. this week and, and probably in, and during the Christmas week, and uh, they're going to be subtractors and they're going to be dividers. In fact, some people have been terrible at boundaries, and they're all in knots because they say yes, 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 out of fear and out of payback and out of guilt. Uh, what's one practical thing that they can take away in these coming four or five weeks that will help them? Yeah, great question. Write this down. Um, there are three responses. The first one is you can do nothing. I mean, if somebody's 35 years old and they've been doing life this way for 35 years, most likely they can continue doing it for 35, even if it's unpleasant. So most people actually do do nothing. A, a second very definitive response is to cut the relationship off. And uh, there are some relationships that should have never started. There are some relationships that should not continue. Nevertheless, it's a huge, huge step. And I really encourage people to not cut relationships off with a lot of prayer and a lot of counsel from their trusted uh, community. The third piece is something I want to think scuba. All right. Think scuba. It's a mid-step response. Think of the, the ocean, the sea is a place that we are not supposed to be. It's, we got lungs, not gills, but we can go in there for a while with a mouthpiece and with goggles and with tanks, see the beauty, enjoy it, look for dangers, all the time keeping our eye on the watch to make sure we've got enough air in our tank. And if we stay too long, we will get injured or we could die. And the same thing happens with the subtractors and the dividers in our life. If we have too many or we're around them for too long, we can end up being injured. So what I encourage people to do is to think about it this way. What's the sweet spot? What's the amount of time? What's the sweet spot of time that I can be around these folks that I want to choose to continue to be in my life and, and stay? Because you know what happens if you stay too long? It's happened a thousand times. So begin to simply think creatively, like, um, 
maybe I don't go quite as early. Maybe I depart a little earlier. Maybe I have activities planned while I'm there. Or maybe if I'm going to be there for several days, I get a hotel. And I know it's extra expense, but maybe you get a hotel. Yeah, Hilton Garden Inn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For all the nights or, you know, some get other ones tub. as well. So think scuba and be, be practical and get some creative ideas about how to do it from other people in your safe community. I love that. I love that. And I think it's, uh, it's so portable. Uh, so uh, how many of you in the next... Uh, week or so are going to be reciting that. Think scuba. Think scuba. And your uncle's going to be like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, my oxygen tank is getting a little low. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Any parting thoughts? Think scuba. All right. Thank you, Chuck Rogers. All right, all right. I want to bring this home because I think this 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 is critical uh, that, that these relationships, you know, we said this in the very beginning of the series, we, we don't get to choose some things. We don't get to choose uh, our family. And, uh, you know, our family has been chosen for us. What we do get to choose in that, though, is changing things in us that will help us love and serve the people that God has asked us to honor sometimes difficult people. As Chuck said, sometimes people who subtract from us, sometimes people who divide from us. And that's not to say that everybody in our family is that way, but some people here today can relate to that. Some of you would say, you know what, I have a family full of adders and multipliers and it's great, but I have that one person who is a subtractor. Think scuba. Think scuba with that person as we go through. Use your voice in the coming weeks. Be able to say, you know what, I can make this request. I don't have to feel bad about saying, you know what, I really don't like it when you do that. You know, I, I, I wish you would, would stop making that joke. It's, it's not funny to me anymore. And be okay. Be okay with that family member feeling a little sad, maybe even a little mad. Because why? Because you've been given the personal authority to make choices and to take responsibility. so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus and we'd love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.